You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. I hope you're having a great week and I hope you enjoyed part one of my conversation with Dr. Ron Ehrlich. If you haven't listened to part one yet, stop this episode and go back and listen to the first part. It's well worth your while. If you have listened to part one, you'll remember that Dr. Ron did a fabulous job of describing just how unhealthy we've become and some of the main culprits. He also did a very impressive job of reining in my frustration at the authorities, the authorities who are supposed to be educating us and helping us to make good choices. What it all comes down to, Dr. Ron says, is that our health is our own responsibility. Sure, we need to be aware of the conflicting stories and misinformation, but growing frustrated about it doesn't help one little bit. What we must do is take charge of our own health, set ourselves up to live the longest, healthiest and happiest life we possibly can. So here we go for part two, where Dr. Ron gets right down to business, taking us through his five pillars of health, the things that we can take charge of. I hope you enjoy part two of my conversation with Dr. Ron Ehrlich. All right, the the time has come, Ron. Let's talk about these five pillars. I mean, the the great thing is we can talk about all this awful stuff and how unhealthy we are, but the great thing is, and as we've already said, it's time just to take control of ourselves and say, Mm. hey, no one else is going to do this for me. The government's not going to do it for me. Large organizations aren't going to do it for me. No one is going to take control of this. This is my thing. And if I want to live a healthy, happy, long life, then this is something I've got to do. So if you've got people on boards, people are sitting there with their headphones in saying, all right, yeah, I want to I want to do something about this. What are the things that we can actually do to make sure we're getting the most out of life? Well, as I said, you know, while things have become more complicated, the solutions are actually remarkably simple. And that's you know, a relief. Yeah. And and when you look at, for example, a lot of corporations do wellness programs and they'll have a bowl of fruit or they'll have a massage or they'll have a yoga session or they'll take blood pressure, measure your BMI and your cholesterol and all that. Well, I think a really good place to start in any health program is sleep. How cheap is that? How much yeah. how much <laughs> effort does that take? And without a doubt, sleep is the most important part of the day. I mean, sleep is, I've heard it said by a fab- fabulous researcher in America, Matthew Walker, sleep is our built-in non-negotiable life support system. Why wouldn't you use it? If you don't use it, you lose it. Sleep affects every single measure of health, physically, mentally, emotionally. If you do not sleep well, your memory is affected. If you don't sleep well, your concentration is affected. Your judgment is affected. Your emotional well-being, you know, your empathy for others is affected. So mentally huge, you're more likely to be depressed and anxious if you don't sleep well. The number of people I see in my surgery when we take a medical history who tell me they're on antidepressants and no one has explored seriously their sleep, their quality of their sleep. 
It's the elephant in the room for so many people. Oh, look, it's a consistently good night's sleep is a function of quality, quantity and quality. So quantity means for 90% of the population, we need seven to nine hours, say average eight hours of sleep a night. Now, Mm -hmm. and the quality, and we'll talk about that in a minute, the quality is breathing well while you're asleep. Putting your head on the pillow isn't enough. You know, you've got to be breathing well while you're asleep. So, you know, when you look at quantity, people who sleep three or four hours a night know they're not getting enough sleep. And by every health measure, they perform badly. Blood sugar level all over the place. Obesity up. Cognitive skills down. Memory down. Emotional well-being down. So the three to four hour people know they're not getting enough sleep. The interesting group are the group that sleeps six hours a night. Mm-hmm. And and they they think they're getting enough sleep, but they perform yep. just as badly as the three to four hour sleep. So really, yeah, absolutely. And and then you talk about obesity, and you talk about you know another thing that poor sleep does is it, is it affects that very much. There's a hormone in our stomach called ghrelin, which tells us we're hungry. Well, when you don't sleep enough, guess what? That goes up, yep. and you become more yep. hungry. There's another hormone called leptin, which helps us metabolize fat. So when you don't sleep enough, leptin goes down. You don't metabolize, you accumulate fat. Your insulin level goes up. I mentioned that every single health measure is made worse by elevated insulin levels. So, you know, even if you exercise and you don't sleep enough or well enough, you will lose lean muscle mass, not fat. So, wow. so you know, there there is that. Uh, so there's so much involved in, in a good night's sleep. So- Number one. So what's quality sleep? Yeah, tell okay. me about that. Well, well, quality sleep is a sleep cycle is made up of five different stages. The first four are what's called non-REM, non-REM, non-rapid eye movement sleep. So you go mm-hmm. to sleep, stage number one, you're dozing. Stage number two, you're asleep. It's in stage number three and four that really good stuff happens. It's where mentally you kind of sort the day's information. It's where Your growth hormone kicks in. It's where your body regenerates, your nerve synapses regenerate. So it's in stage three and four. Then you go into REM sleep. Now, REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, is where you dream. It's where you integrate all that information that you've accumulated through the day that the deeper level of sleep has helped you sort what's important and what's not, but it's in the REM sleep that helps you integrate it. And that sleep cycle, those five stages go on for about 90 minutes, and you should have four or five of those in a night. So we cycle through these these sleep stages. And the other thing is um, when you are asleep, it's really important that you breathe well while you're asleep. So a lot of people snore or they get up at night to go to the bathroom. That's another interesting mm-hmm. one. A lot of people get up and go to the bathroom. And this is the second pillar, by the way. So the first pillar is sleep, but I made the second pillar breathing. Mm. There, There is a difference between breathing and breathing well. I mean, the secret right. the secret to living a long life is to keep breathing for as long as you can. There it is, David. How's, yeah. that? How's yeah. that for a gem? But the secret, <laughs> yeah, that to, is a good one. the secret to living a healthy long life is to breathe well for as long as you can, and there is a difference. And by breathing well, I mean you breathe through your nose, you breathe slowly at 8 to 12 breaths per minute. You breathe gently. You breathe from your diaphragm. And while and because that way you're using all of your lungs and 
getting on to diaphragm breathing, that's a whole other story. There's so many great things about using your diaphragm. But for, let's just talk about breathing. So breathing is really important. Breathing through your nose is really important. When you breathe through your Why? nose- Why? Why is this? Yeah. Well, breathing through your nose warms, humidifies, and filters the air before you take it into your lungs. So if you breathe through your nose, you've got five levels of filtration. You've got the fine hairs that filter it. You've got the mucus lining your sinuses and your nasal passages that kill bacteria and viruses. You've got your, your sinuses and your, and your uh, turbinates, which warm and humidify the air. Then you've got your adenoids. Then you've got your tonsils. If you breathe through uh -huh. your mouth, you bypass the first four and you rely on your tonsils. So kids with enlarged tonsils, kids with respiratory problems, kids with asthma, one in four kids have asthma, one in three have allergies. Remember we talked about that. If you're a mouth breather, you are affecting not only the air, the quality of the air, but you're also affecting body chemistry because breathing is about balancing out acid and alkaline. We hear a lot about that in, but we don't hear a lot about the important part that breathing plays in it. But breathing when you're asleep is really important because what can happen when you're asleep is your breathing can be restricted. That's what snoring often is. And actually, sometimes you can stop breathing, and that's called an apnea. And people can stop breathing for 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds. I think the record is about two and a half minutes where wow. in, in a person, if you tried to do that while you were awake, you probably couldn't. But people at night actually have restricted breathing or actually stop breathing. And so that's why even if they are sleeping eight hours a night, nine hours a night, maybe 10 or 12 hours a night, the over oversleeping is a problem too. That tells us that they are just not breathing well while they're asleep. So putting your head on the pillow, not enough. Breathing well while you're asleep, very important. But breathing well through the day is really important. If you breathe at 20, I had a patient in the other day who young child who who's 12-year-old who was suffering from bedwetting and they were coming in for an opinion about orthodontic treatment. And, and I was watching this kid, new patient, and her mouth was open and I guessed she was breathing at about 15 to 20 breaths per minute. When we measured it, she was breathing 24 times per minute. The effect, wow. the effect that that has is it affects your body chemistry and it causes smooth muscle in the body to contract. Now, where is smooth muscle? It's everywhere. It's in your blood vessels. So people who have a restricted, a difficulty in controlling their blood pressure through medication, it could be a breathing problem. People who wow. get up at night to go to the bathroom, your bladder is smooth muscle. So it could be a breathing problem. People right. who have indigestion, you know, so I could go on, David. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. So that, I was going to ask you to go back to why it's interesting about going to the toilet during the night and you've just got there. It's It could be a breathing problem, not a bladder problem. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there's lots of reasons why people get up at night to go to the bathroom and prostate is one of them, of course, for men as they age. And drinking too much is another, of course, and there are lots of medications or diabetes is another issue and we know that's a problem. But another one that's often overlooked is breathing. And uh, there's a, you know, 
there are some very simple interventions that one can do to look at and, and, and explore that. But the point being that breathing is really important in balancing out body chemistry. So that's why I make breathing another pillar. That's the second pillar. You notice I haven't even got on to what you should or shouldn't be eating or how much you should or shouldn't <laughs> be exercising because you've got to get those things. You've got to get the foundation in order. If you are sleeping well and breathing well, oh my goodness, you have got the mental and physical energy to do all the things you you promise yourself you will do. You will be making decisions that are far more considered. You'll be using the frontal part of your brain, not the re reflex part of your brain. Your amygdala, which is all about empathy, will be quiet and you'll be far more empathetic. So, wow. so you know, there's so much going on in this sleeping, breathing pillar. That's why, how cheap is that in terms of just educating people, you know, if you took a corporation and you said, okay, we've got a new corporate wellness program, we're going to encourage you all to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Let's do and, that, and, and, let's do that and, for the next month or two and let's see how productivity is affected. And there's a whole bunch of other things around that that we do to ourselves in modern society. We're on our phones until right before we go to bed and we, we know the research is telling us that that's a bad idea. We need to get rid of the phones at least an hour before we go to sleep. Hey, now, I heard something interesting secondhand, so it might not be exactly right, but I, I understand that the the CEO of Netflix talked about sleep the other day. Do you know what he said? No. It's the biggest barrier to their business model. Yeah. Doesn't that tell you a lot about, uh, you know, he describes what's happening to our sleep as well. We're not great sleepers because we live in a busy world, but there are things designed to keep us awake. And the number of people who I hear talk about, oh, I wish I could do some exercise, but I just can't go to bed at night. I just can't get to bed before 11 or 11.30, which makes my jaw drop. I can't imagine going to bed at 11 or 11.30 at night. And it's because we've just got to watch that one more episode, one more episode. And there are parts of our entertainment are designed to keep us addicted and keep watching that one more episode. Well, you know, this is why... You know, this is about education. This is about, mm, it's you know, a, it's still the, a choice. Uh, this is about uh, prioritizing. And, and I would mm. say, what is step number one in getting a good night's sleep? Well, realizing Go how important it is. Well, no, it's yeah. actually, it's prioritizing it. And if you're, yeah, and, and, and in my experience, if your doctor hasn't prioritized it, it's probably because in their own life, they haven't prioritized it. I have mm. come to this conclusion in my own personal life. Over the last 15 years, I used to be that person that went to sleep, did all my best work between 11.30 and 12.30 at night, and I was <sighs> that person that was sleeping six hours a night thinking, this is fine, I'm, I'm very productive, I'm a very successful yeah. dentist, I'm a family yeah. man, et cetera, et cetera. But once you make that change, it's huge. So prioritizing is number one, and then good sleep hygiene, and we could talk at length about that, David, but good sleep hygiene is important. Hey, you talked a little bit about being a mouth breather, and yeah. I've never understood before the importance of breathing through your nose. If you are a mouth breather by habit, first of all, how can you tell? What, what can you sort of notice in yourself? And secondly, can you change that habit? Because it seems like a fairly involuntary habit. Yeah, well, look, this gets back to one of those stresses, which is, um, well, those stresses, which are in a combination here of nutritional and dental stress. You see, we have evolved to have 32 teeth in our, in our mouth. And if I ask uh, your listeners, I could tell you that 95% at least of your listeners would not have enough room for all 32 of their teeth in their, in their mouth. 
That means okay. they have narrow jaw and crowded teeth. Now, what's the significance of that? The shape and size of your mouth determines the shape and size of your upper airway. And if your mouth is narrow with not enough room for your teeth, then your upper airway is narrow. So that is number one. Number two, if you are eating foods that are highly inflammatory, that cause the lining of those narrow nasal passages to be even narrower, then you've got only one alternative, and that is to breathe through your nose. So changing your habits of mouth breathing versus nasal breathing, and you know you, you would know you're a mouth breather if your mouth is dry, your lips are dry, uh, you end up drinking a lot of water because of that. Have a look in the mirror or just notice. I mean, you know, people look around you and see how many people are mouth breathers and how many people are nasal breathers and you'll be surprised. So I think that's a function of, of narrow jaws, crowded teeth, narrow upper airways and food that is highly inflammatory that causes narrow nasal passages. Now, you can obviously do things about that, but the first step is to be aware of it. So th those highly inflammatory foods – they will, if, if we've eaten those, they will force us to breathe through our mouth. Yeah, well, it'll inflame the nasal passages, mm. make them yeah. swell up and make it yeah. more difficult to breathe through your nose. And if you've got a narrow- What sort of food is that? Well, it's, uh, this is getting back, this is coming to pillar number three. Number three. Okay. Let's, to, yeah, so sleep, breathing, now to number three, nutrition. Yeah, nutrition or nourish, a good segue, because the foundation of a good diet, I believe- well, uh, we've talked about fats, and I think healthy fats are an important part of a diet. And by healthy fats, I mean butter, olive oil, uh, the fat of animals that have led, led a healthy life. And On that means that, that they are pasture-fed and pasture-finished. They have less bad fat in them, but much better good fat, and you should eat the fat off the lamb, off a healthy lamb. Great. That's good fat. Eggs are great. You know, the, the coconut oil recently maligned by poor, I think, poor research, but in moderation, fine. So healthy fats are really good. I think the foundation of a modern diet should be vegetables of lots and lots of different colors. I said we're exposed to a lot of environmental toxins and vegetables have got lots of phytonutrients and phytochemicals in them. And the beauty of food, real food, unprocessed food, natural food, nutrient-dense food is that nature has been doing this experiment for millions mm. and millions of years. I mean, yes, yeah. we have a vitamin industry. Yes, we have superfoods and supervitamins. But eating whole foods, there's stuff in there that we haven't even discovered yet, but has been with us for a long time. So lots and lots of vegetables. I think a moderate amount of protein. I think we eat too much protein, too much animal protein, too much meat. But a moderate too much meat. Too much meat, I think we do. I think ethically we do, I think environmentally we do, but having good quality, ethically grown, pasture-fed and finished, ideally if it can be organic, that's great. But, you know, this more expensive meat, eat less of it. That's better for you. It's better for the planet. I think we yeah. need to be drinking water. Water is still a great drink. It's, it's the <laughs> best drink. And when you look at soft drinks, when you look at even low-sugar carbonated drinks, if you look at sports drinks, if you look at juices – I mean, juice, you couldn't possibly eat the fruit that goes into a glass of orange juice. That's as much sugar in it as, as a bottle of Coke, a can of Coke. So salt, another one that's been maligned. You know, w there's a very big difference between table salt that contains just sodium and chloride and a healthy 
salt which contains up to 50 or 60 trace elements. We need trace elements for a healthy body, healthy cells, healthy nerves, healthy bones. And so this this another public health message about low salt is good is not exactly as simple as that. So we've got healthy fats, we've got lots of vegetables, we, we should be keeping our carbohydrate level down to keep our blood sugar level down, and we should explore hunger. So those kind of things mm-hmm. are, are things that will keep us in less inflamed. Now, it's more nuanced than that, and that's why working sometimes, if those sort of things aren't working for you, you need to be consulting an integrative doctor or a nutritionist or naturopath who understands food sensitivities and food allergies. You know, we we associate allergies with if you break out in hives, then that's an allergic response. Well, that's only one type of allergic response. Uh, There's another one that can take four, five hours, maybe even a day or two to kick in, and you wouldn't necessarily associate that with the food you've eaten. With the cause. So, so you and need what's to. What's that? Well, what, what, what is that allergic response? Well, that's a that's called an IgG response. So, when you break out in hives, that's getting technical, but you know that's an immediate allergic anaphylactic kind of. Well, anaphylaxis is an extreme version of it. You know, you get a runny nose, you you get a rash. That's one kind of allergic response. Another kind of allergic response using a different part of our immune system is a delayed response. And that delayed response can take hours and sometimes days. So people don't often associate that, you know, foods they eat with possible allergies. And that can inflame nasal passages, et cetera. So the nourish part of the pillar is really actually quite simple. It's eat natural food, eat lots of vegetables, you know, eat fats so you don't get hungry. Don't be afraid of hunger. They're the kind of general principles. Yeah. And drink lots of clean, filtered water. I, I personally, you know, I mean, water from the tap is, is better than than a lot of other fruit juices and, and, and other yeah. bought drinks. Personally, at yeah. home, what I do is I, I um, use a reverse osmosis filter. It filters everything out. You know, I think they put a lot of stuff in. in I mean, they put chlorine in, in the water, and I think there's a very good reason for delivering clean water to our tap. But what happens to it from the moment it leaves the tap to enter my mouth, I have some control over. So yeah. I, there, I, I there use a reverse osmosis water filter, which strips everything out of it, not so good. And I take a few grains of healthy Himalayan rock salt, just a few grains, and I drop it into the water and bingo, I've got uh, my own homemade mineral water and it's clean. So so water, 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 It's, it's the best drink of all. I got a lot out of that. There's a lot in there that I already know. I learned that I probably am am eating too much meat. I love meat. I knew that in my heart. But uh, to hear you talk about the fact that we probably eat too much meat, and, and if we do, then I certainly do. I like the fact that you've reminded us again that hunger is not the enemy. There's no problem with being hungry. It's actually very good for us. But the thing I didn't hear you talk about there was sugar. Are you suggesting that sugar is not part of a healthy diet? Look, Ron, how has this happened again? It it's like tobacco. It's like climate change. It's like a couple of those things that are using the same playbook. How has sugar gotten away with it? Well, it's gotten away with it because when you make something low fat, it tastes terrible. And the only way to make it taste good is to either add salt or add sugar. And the type Mm. of salt that is added is that very basic sodium chloride type salt. So 
sugar is kryptonite. It's a look. This is a whole story on its own, David. And it, it's mm. not. I, partic- I saw that sugar on SBS again the other yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Look, the War I, on Sugar or something. I, I would hate anybody to come away from this thinking that I'm perfect. I know that may shock some mm. of your listeners, but uh, I'm not mm. perfect, David. And yeah. I do like some uh, chocolate, and I, I have some mm-hmm. cake, and I occasionally have some yeah. ice cream. You know, I'm yeah. not. You know, eliminating it completely, I'm not going to pretend. I work on an 80-20 principle, and Mm. and everybody has to decide what their correct percentage is. For me, 50-50, nah. 60-40, I don't like that either. 70-30, not really. 80-20 I can go with in this real world. And when I'm really on fire, and by 80-20 I mean 80% of the time I'm doing absolutely the right thing, and 20% of the time, hey, I let my hair down a bit. When I'm really on fire... 90-10, 90-10, that's when I'm at my yeah. absolute peak. If I went to yeah. 100%, I think I'd be a social outcast and I would most certainly be a pain in the ass. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah. I think there's a balance to be had here, but I do not mm. include sugar. No, look, people are going to have it, all right? People yeah. are going to have yeah. it in there. And as a treat, I think it's fine, but it is not yeah. part of a healthy diet. Sorry, it's just not. You, you can see it for what it is and that's fine, yeah. but it's just not part of a healthy diet. And the sugar industry works so hard to eliminate the truth, to smoke, throw up smoke bombs, to hold, hold off the hoard for as long as they could, like that tobacco industry is done and like the fossil fuel industry is doing. Mm. They're using the same playbook. It's, it's a really interesting parallel between those three things. But we know it now. Maybe not everyone knows the extent to which sugar is harmful and the extent to which sugar is present in the things that we consume. But we generally get it. Why do we continue to make decisions that we know are bad for us? Does anyone drink a Coke? I mean, I see people drink soft drink. I just can't believe that they're doing it. I see it, it, it amazes me that you would do that to yourself, but we do it. Well, it's addictive. There's a good reason. You know, mm-hmm. let's not underestimate that. It's addictive. And uh, so you wouldn't go feeding your kid tobacco or alcohol or, you know, whatever, heroin, but you do feed them sugar. And so Mm. that's number one. And number two, we're not sleeping very well, and so we're making some really silly decisions. So, you know, it's it's kind of this is part of that holistic um, thing. The other thing I didn't mention was fruit, and I think fruit in moderation is a good thing, particularly seasonal fruit. But this idea of a big bowl of fruit all year round, I mean, you know, a lot of the modern fruit is very high in sugar. And so I think right. f- certain fruits are, are fine. You know, the berries are fine, the, the figs, the dates. Uh, you know, fruit that's in season is fine. But what is in season? Everything's around all year round. And, and yeah. uh, you know, so, so fruit in moderation is also part of that. But, you know, why, so th- why is the in season part so important? When you said fruit that's in season, I yeah. don't understand why that's so important. Well, I think there's a natural rhythm about that. You know, okay. I mean, if, right. the, the, if fruit is in season, I mean, listen, back in our ancestral past, if there was a bush full of fruit, you know, we didn't walk past and go, mm, you know, I just got to, I will only have three or four berries there because it's really not good for me. You'd have gorged yourself. You know, you'd yeah. have absolutely yeah. gorged yourself because it was there. And it was there at a yeah. time, but it wasn't there all year round. And that's right. a key thing. Okay. So this is the same okay. as hunger. You know, exploring hunger, yeah. good thing. Exploring fruit, fine. But what about going with the seasons, getting into the rhythm yeah. of nature? <laughs> that's just that's interesting. I've never it's so embarrassing. I've never thought about that. Why can't I have pink lady apples all year round? Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? 
Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. All right, well, that's it's this fantastic stuff, Ron. Now, let's go back over them. Number one was sleep. Number two was breathing. Number three was nutrients. And number four? Move. 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 Now, see, this is where we're getting to. We've had to go through all of that before we've told you to get out and move. But actually, you know, what turns out I found rather liberating is that if you – less is more. I mean, less is more. You don't have to get on a treadmill for an hour. You don't have to get on a bike. You don't have to go for a 10-kilometer run. I mean, people do 10-kilometer runs. People do marathons. And they do it for lots and lots of reasons. And I think a lot of people that do it would say it's meditative. It's not just exercise. It's It's where I relax. So that's fine for those people. But for the ordinary person who is wanting to just get up and move. Be healthy. Get Mm. up and move. I mean, walking is, it turns out that walking speed, there's a study done in the UK. It turns out that walking speed is one of the best predictors of a five-year life, you know, of not dying in the next five years. That walking speed. Yes, there's a UK study that looks at that and says walking speed is a better predictor of that. So, hey, there's walking. That's not too bad. You could keep on doing that for the rest of your life. If you really want to get into exercise, then focusing on flexibility, focusing on core strength, focusing on functional movements is a really good overriding principle. And if you did, say, 10 or 15 minutes, say 20 minutes, of intermittent training, high-intensity intermittent training, it turns out that your metabolism will be up for 24 to 48 hours. If you go for a 10-kilometer run, your metabolism will be up for six to eight hours. So how, really? liber- how liberating is wow. that? So, so wow. you know, you don't you- need to go for a 10K run. Do 20 <laughs> minutes of high-intensity intervals. Yeah, and if you include, you get- and if you include some weight-bearing in that, like pick up a yeah. kettlebell and do some exercise – but, you know, so that's even better. So, you know, this is about just getting up and moving. And actually, when I spend a lot of my time in my home office at a desk and I spend it at a standing desk and I would never have believed that I could spend my whole day at a standing desk. But there's yeah. this little enzyme that's produced in arteries in our muscles called lipoprotein lipase, lipoprotein lipase. And when you stop moving, when you sit for more than even five or 10 minutes, that enzyme becomes inactive and fat starts to accumulate. So if you can stand at your desk, that actually means you are moving around a little bit, you're weight bearing. And so standing at your desk is a good thing. Um, So, you know, just getting up and moving is fine. And you don't need to do much of it. And if you're sleeping well, this is the other thing. If you're sleeping well, then you'll more than likely get up in the morning and do some exercise. If you're going to bed at yeah. 12 o'clock, waking yeah. up at connected. 7 and you're tired, you're not going yeah. to do it. No so, chance. So, so, you know, we're back to the sleep, breathe, and the move. So that that's move. It's it's a very liberating thing to know less is more. Hey, Ron, are you, do you have an Apple Watch? I don't. You don't? Do you know much about the Apple Watches? Well, I know they are. I've got a – well, we've all got pedometers on us because they're our – our phones, um, yeah, you know, but yeah. there's a lot of yeah. I have a little bit. There, there. We haven't even talked about electromagnetic radiation, David. Oh, but that's the- right. Oh, you have mentioned <laughs> that in your book. You're not a huge fan. Look, that, I'm not a that huge aside, fan. I know that's another issue, but yeah. but it, it just say there was no electromagnetic radiation yeah. in my Apple Watch. I would imagine that you'd be a big fan. Because my Apple Watch tells me how much I've moved. Mm. It tells me to get up when I've been sitting down too long. It has made me obsessed 
with closing my rings. And anyone who has an Apple Watch or knows yeah, someone know. with an I've Apple Watch will, will know what that means. It connects so beautifully with a sleep app that I have that tells me how well I slept, whether I was in deep sleep. No, I'm sure it's not exactly precise, but it's told me so much about my sleeping that I didn't know. My restful sleep and my non-restful sleep, my heart rate and what that does during my night's sleep, surely that kind of information for us and that motivation to close the rings when it comes to standing and moving and exercising, that's got to be a good thing. Well, you know, that is really interesting and it gets to the point of how people can change in their health journey. And that mm. is, you, you mentioned uh, this idea of locus of control, and I think that's a really important thing. You know, in corporate, change management as a part of corporate life has been for many, many years, of course, and will continue to be. And at one point in, in uh, corporate, in change management, the concept of locus of control and tolerance of ambiguity were really popular concepts. And when I read that mm. years ago, I thought, now there's a really interesting link to change management in health. Do people, do you as a person on your journey see yourself as having an internal locus of control? Yes, I'm in control or an external locus. I've got no control. I'm just a victim of my circumstance yeah. and my life. That's important. Yeah. And so the other one is tolerance of ambiguity. Things are not black and white. Things are not right or wrong. There are shades of gray and you've got to have that tolerance of ambiguity. So that leads to how do you successfully implement a wellness program? And that's about engagement. It's about motivation. It's about support, which is what a lot of these devices do very well. They yes. support you and they help you form a community. I mean, I know my wife is a very keen user of the Fitbit and she mm -hmm. is constantly in her small group of 20 people that are on her Fitbit group. She's always checking to see how everyone's going and how other people <laughs> so there is no but there is that point about community about about engagement about gamification encouragement yeah. encouragement meaningful gamification so I think those devices do have a, a really important place all right now we're, we're up to number five and this is just I'm really really enjoying this Ron there's so much great information coming out here we had sleep breathing nutrition movement and what is number five? Number five is think or thought. And, mm. um, and you know, this is a really important one. And, and this is why the foundation of the other pillars is so important because with a good night's sleep, you will have the mental, physical, and emotional energy to deal with the stresses of life. Now, we are constantly bombarded by information that we may or may not have very much control of. We are constantly surrounded by people who we may or may not have control of. We can't change that, but we can certainly change the way we think about things. So that is a powerful tool to take on board, but you need to have resilience to do that. Easier said than yeah. done. But So there is that. The other thing that's really important is that mindfulness and meditation are really powerful tools. And you can, I mean, meditation is a work in progress for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to incorporate it into my life, but mindfulness is a very powerful tool. And there are parts to our nervous system when we're stressed called the fight or flight part, the sympathetic nervous system. That's where we get all stressed out and blood supply goes from our internal organs to our muscles to, to escape or fight this stress. And that has an effect on our ability to digest even the best food. 
the best supplement. When you're stressed, you won't be able to absorb the nutrients. The other thing that happens is when you're emotionally stressed, your immune system shuts down. The other thing that happens is your frontal part of your brain, the process that you think about, logical thinking, goes down and the reptilian part of your brain goes up. So emotional stress is about mindfulness. There's another part of our nervous system, the rest and digest part, that's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And by breathing, a very simple breathing exercise that I call a 444, which is like mindfulness in a minute or two, switches mm. that on almost instantly. And what you do is you stop, you breathe in for four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, you hold for four seconds, and you are mindful of your surroundings. And you only need to do that for a minute or two. And that mindfulness exercise will switch on the parasympathetic or the rest and digest part of our nervous system. So mindfulness and meditation are another really important tool. And then you get on to the whole idea of well-being and health and well-being. And, and this is the work of Martin Seligman, who formulated what's called the PERMA model, P-E-R-M-A. And that stands, P stands for positive emotions. E stands for engagement. So this is about your work life, your family life, your community life. This PERMA model, positive, is there positive emotions associated with it? Are you engaged in what you are doing? M, is there meaning in what you are doing? Uh, P, no, R, relationships. Sorry, David, relationships. I was spelling. I thought, geez, I was spelling it wrong. That's got a spelling mistake. Oh, my God, we've been talking too long. So P, E, we talked about positive. We talked about engagement. Now, relationships, the R, how could I leave that out? Harvard University, <laughs> Harvard University did a study, 75 years it's been going on, and they found that the single most important predictor of longevity, health, and wellness is relationships. Not cholesterol, okay. not blood pressure, not this, not that, relationships. So relationships are really important. The M is meaning. Is there meaning in what you do? And the A is accomplishment or acknowledgement for what you are doing. So, you know, that is a great structure for thinking about your work, your family, your community life. And more recently, interestingly, and very timeless, time, very well timed, he added another letter to it, and that was H, and H stands for health. So we've done the full circle, David. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> brilliant. And, you know, that, that those breathing exercises that you talked us through before, yep. if you so chose, you could write that off as wish, wishy-washy, but as you were describing it, I was just thinking about this this makeup day where someone all through their day has these moments where they can get frustrated with something or they can get annoyed or they can feel undervalued or overwhelmed. And if at every one of those moments they take the choice that's negative, then that anxiety builds, the world's against me, my thoughts, I, I, I go into, as you say, into this anxiety where my reptilian brain takes over, I'm not at my best. Or if at every one of those points, there's someone cuts me off in traffic on the way to work, someone says something that I can interpret one or two ways, someone is rude to me, but it turns out that they're having a busy day, whatever it is, if at every one of those those moments, I choose to be positive, to be mindful, to take a few deep breaths and relax and let the let the stress of that or the potential stress of that just wash over me and not take it on and then move to the next thing. The difference between those two days is 
astronomical. And if you add that up over a week and a month of either choosing not to accept the stress or taking every bit of stress on, then the difference is like black and white. Absolutely. And look, if you wanted to then graduate even further and explore meditation, oh my goodness, there's a whole other world awaiting you. 20 minutes of meditation has been shown to be equivalent to two hours of sleep. So do the math, do the maths on Mm. that. But so meditation is a whole other area that's open to you. So, you know, think is a really important, obviously, a very important part of that five pillars. But in order to do that, you really need to have the resilience. And that's why those other pillars, I believe, are what you build on. They're all interrelated. They're not, it's not a linear mm-hmm. thing. It's not a linear yeah, thing absolutely. at all. But that's basically the five pillars of health and wellness. Uh, look, Dr. Ron Ulrich, I have just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation so much. You are a fountain of knowledge. I can't believe you just sat there and rattled all that stuff across all of those different topics. It's just amazing. Your knowledge is is impressive and the message is just so healthy for want of a better word. It's it's really positive. It resonates with me and and I'm sure there are a lot of people listening for whom it's resonated very strongly as well. I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure. And that was Dr. Ron Ehrlich. I loved our chat. He's so articulate, so on message, such a great communicator about the things that matter most to us and our lives and what we can do to take charge. His five pillars, powerful, simple, and in our control. Sleep, breathing, nutrition, movement, and thought. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Dr. Ron on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru slash podcast. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode of This, My Mission to Bring to Life the Theory and Principles of Leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.